Most of us in here, I think, would remember the days of that paper that got delivered to your house that we called a newspaper. Now, some of us, I'm not saying that many who are young enough to not know what that is, but uh, before the days of Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace, there was what we called the classified ads in newspapers. And generally, they were bore, it was boring reading, but occasionally you'd come across an entry in the classified ads that uh, was noteworthy, like this one. Wedding dress for sale. We'll trade for a 38 caliber pistol. <laughs> now, we can only guess what goes into the formulation of that particular classified ad, but I suspect that it was not a happy scene. Let me jump a little bit to a different uh, time. But there was this farmer who was a Quaker. And as you may or may not know, Quakers lean pretty, pretty hard towards pacifism. And uh, this farmer had a cow named Bessie. And Bessie was, uh, most of the time, was a good cow. And uh, that was his milk cow. And so on a regular basis, he dealt with that. Every morning, get up and milk Bessie and uh, have milk for the family and beyond. So um, on this one particular day, he got up and he began to milk Bessie, and she was in a particularly ornery kind of a mood that day. So he was about halfway through the milking, and uh, she looked back at him and shifted her uh, girth to the side and kicked that pail of milk, spilled every bit of it. And that Quaker kind of stopped for a minute, and he gathered himself, put a stool back down, and got the pail and put it all in place, and he started milking that cow again. And sure enough, he got a little ways into it, and Bessie looked back at him, and he knew it was coming. And she turned sideways, kicked that pail, spilled every drop of milk again. By now, the Quaker farmer was um, pushing his limits, and so he got up off of his stool, and he walked around in front of Bessie, and he looked her square in the eyes, and he said this. I'm going to do my best Quaker impersonation for you. He said, Bessie, thou knowest that I'm a Quaker, and I cannot strike thee. What thou knowest not is that I may sell you to a Baptist. <laughs> you know how that finishes, right? <laughs> yeah, so what do those two stories have in common? Let me throw a third one at you. It was just over 10 years ago at a high school in Texas, deep south Texas to be exact, when a young teenage boy came up behind another teenager in the cafetorium. It was lunchtime, and they were, you know, groups of kids were gathered around, and this one teenage boy came up behind another and he swung his fist and connected with the guy from the side. Because the guy didn't know that it was coming, that teenage boy fell, and as he fell, he hit his head on a trophy case that was there, which caused him to roll sideways as he fell the rest of the way, and as he fell to the ground, his head went back and bounced off of the linoleum, and it knocked him out just like that. At that point, the boy who delivered the, the blow jumped on top of the unconscious body of that teenage boy and began to hit him about the head repeatedly. 
This unconscious boy lying on the floor was receiving shot after shot to his head. By the time the security guards and the school administration could pull the attacker off of the other boy, his face was bruised and bloody. And they pulled that attacker off, and somewhere just as they pulled him off and pulled him off to the side to separate him from that other boy, the attacker kind of, it's like the fog cleared, and he asked this question, what did I do? These three insights point to one of what I believe is one of the most prevalent problems in our society today, that of anger. And anger makes the top ten list for Jesus as he's working through this Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, by the way, if you have a Bible, I would invite you to join me there. But Jesus, as he works his way through these pictures, these snapshots of what it looks like to be one of his followers who is brilliant, whose life reflects Jesus Christ and his love to the world. Uh, Jesus has this list. I I, I call it the top ten, but it's really the top six when we get into Matthew chapter five. Six different statements that Jesus is going to make where he begins with this formula that says, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And so Jesus pulling off of chapter 5, verse 20. Let me just go ahead and read that verse so that it sets the tone for us. Uh, This is the thesis of the entire Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gives. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus now will turn and he'll begin to set off these different statements. You have heard that it was said but I say to you, Jesus will delineate for us, will amplify for us what this surpassing righteousness looks like. And anger is the first one that he takes on. And so we read in today's text, verses 20, excuse me, verses 21 and 22 of Matthew chapter 5, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. And I could continue to read there because actually this passage goes all the way through verse 26. But in the two verses that I've read today, we have plenty to keep us busy for the next hour and a half or so, however long this sermon takes. It won't be that long. But at the intersection of the text and 21st century life in America, we find these three points that I would like to share with you today. Here's the first one. Jesus begins, and he he helps us to begin at a point that we need to understand before the rest of it makes any sense. So here's the way I would say the point is that the root cause of anger is a threatened or a denied will. I'll explain that as we go a little bit here, but but maybe we start today by, by me asking this question of you. What causes anger? Before we get through today, I'm going to try to give you several different examples of why I believe that anger is one of the biggest problems that we have in American society today. But before I even get to that, let's just kind of pause and make sure that we're putting it together as it relates to what is the cause of anger in the first place. Jesus steps into this. We, we find the pointer to this in verse 22. 
where he says, uh, let me just read it. But I said, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. This is an interesting way that Jesus steps into this. As we work our way through this, we're going to find these six different statements that contrast righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees with what Jesus is talking about. Uh, We will find that each of those six are either taken directly out of the Old Testament law or the interpretation of that law and the traditions of that law that the scribes and the Pharisees had put together through the years. We're going to find this formulaic statement you have heard, and it's going to be repeated over and over. And with that, Jesus ramps up the expectations that he gives to all of us. He begins easily. As a matter of fact, I would say with this that we find here, do not murder. You have heard that it was said, do not murder. Jesus steps into the waters. If he's trying to win over a crowd early on, he does a pretty good job of it right here. Because after all, how threatening is it really for him to quote one of the Ten Commandments? This is number six. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. Jesus quotes that. You've heard that it was said. He's not denying that that's there. He's not even saying you shouldn't keep that. As a matter of fact, the way he steps into the discussion is he says, you've heard this. And my suspicion is that everybody on that hillside and that congregation there, just like everybody in this congregation here today, all of us and all of them would say, well, of course not. Of course we should not murder. There are big discussions about that in our day. Just by the way, let me just throw this out here. This is not, this doesn't say anything about war. This is about murder. This is where you walk down the street and you see somebody and you take their life. That, that's different than a lot of the other things that we could talk about with this. But Jesus is talking about that point of everyday life that the Ten Commandments, the Sixth Commandment specifically prohibits. Don't murder. That's pretty, pretty safe waters he's treading in right there because none of us today, I suspect none of us, I hope none of us in this crowd would say, no, I think it's fine to murder. If he's trying to win a crowd, he does a pretty good job with it at the opening. But here's the deal with Jesus in this whole Sermon on the Mount. Jesus sometimes just doesn't leave well enough alone. Now, I say that with the, with the uttermost respect because any good preacher, when he gets right down to it, just won't leave well, well enough alone. As one friend of mine told me, the job of a pastor is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And Jesus gets on with the afflicting right here. Because he starts easy. He starts with one that everybody can agree on, but he immediately transfers and translates into this other thing. But whoever is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. Now, now that's... Boy... See, what Jesus does with that is he, in this sermon now, as he starts getting into the brass tacks of it, he throws this net out, and it's so wide that it captures all of us. Probably none of us would be guilty of murder, but all of us, in one way or another, are guilty of being angry with our brother. Well, if you have a brother like mine, that is. Or even if we take the church language, the church lingo, where we call each other brother. It's not hard to be angry with people. Some people beg for us to be angry with them, it seems, right? So Jesus steps into this, and he lets us all see that we don't get off the hook easily. 
Let, let me just spend a little time with you reflecting about the society that we live in today. See, I think that America is an angry place these days. You don't have to look very far for that. If you frequent social media, if you happen to watch any broadcast news, you don't have to look very far to, fit, to see evidence of anger. People that post online hatred, hateful things about other people. There's something about the anonymity of being able to hide behind a computer screen and put what you want on Twitter or Facebook or any of those things and be able to say what you want and it comes out uh, and you don't really have to deal with the people or so you think. Uh, you don't have to look very far to see that some people are just full of anger. In case you don't see that, try out some of the poisonous rhetoric that we find spewing out of some of the talking heads of our day. If that doesn't do it for you, consider how many shootings we've had in public places, workplace violence, road rage. See, we even have a crime that's tied to anger that we've labeled accordingly. Ours is an angry age. It is an age in American society where the church, the disciples of Jesus Christ need to be brilliant. We need to be able to reflect the glory of God into this hatred cauldron of society today. We, we got to do that. And Jesus comes in and where, where we would be quick to say, okay, good, no murder. I'm good with that. Let's move on to the next one. Jesus says, hold on a second. Let's get down to the bottom shelf here of what's going on. Why is it that we're such an angry thing? Why, why, why do we get angry in the first place? Here's my deal, and I've said this a couple of times already, so let me just make sure that we, we pull it together. I, I have said on more than one occasion that the essence of sin is control. It is that part of us, of each of us, that says, I'll be in control. We order our lives in such a way so that we get it the way we like it. As parents, we do that. If you're a single person, you have the great opportunity to do that without a bunch of complications from other people, unless you have a cat. <laughs> we all like to be in control. And so we order our world accordingly as best we can, and we get it just so. And then we get married. Oh, my goodness, then we get married. Here's the problem, okay? That, that sin nature that says, I will be in control. I will be God. That's with a small g, not a capital one. The moment we get married, all of a sudden, there's another person in the mix who wants to be God. I have this at my house all the time. Okay, now this, this, this is friendly, okay? We're good. My wife and I are really good, okay? I'm just trying to use us as the example that fits you because it's easier for me to talk about us. Than, okay? the, the reality is that when you're married, you have somebody in your house who wants to be God just like you do. You don't believe that? Go mess up the towels a little bit or change stuff in cabinets from one cabinet to another. See if there's not a God complex going on somewhere in your house. Okay? Listen, it's not about my wife or your wife or your husband. It's about me. It's about you. It's about us. We all have God complexes. We want to be in control. That's the essence of the sin nature. That's why Adam and Eve said to God, no, you don't tell us what to eat. We'll eat what we want. That's the sin nature. 
And so this first point that I want to make sure that we get is as it relates to the root of anger. We could talk all day about different strategies in addressing anger, but we have to get to the root of it. And the root of it is when I want to be God and then somebody else crowds into that and tries to be God instead of me and they change things and my will is threatened or denied, it gives place to anger. And so we respond or sometimes we react and sometimes we even retaliate against those people who would step in against us. Let me give you an example of that out of my family life. I have a two-year-old grandson. His name is Declan. You had any two-year-olds in your house lately? Two-year-olds get this whole God complex thing I'm talking about. They intend to be God of their universe and yours too. My grandson has this, this, he has this look. You know the look I'm talking about? Where his mama or his grandmother says, no, Declan, don't do that. And he turns and he gives this look. It looks a little bit angelic, maybe like a fallen angel, but it has, he has this, this look that says, I love you, but don't tell me what to do. And so he does what he wants to do because, after all, he has a control issue too. He's born into it, just like his mama. And so when you step in to arrest or to stop that move to be what he wants to be because it's not healthy for him or it's not healthy for people around him, and so you say, stop, Declan, then he has this this capacity. I started to say unique, but I've seen it in lots of two-year-olds and 20-year-olds and 50-year-olds. It's this tendency to just lash out at the world. And for him, it's screaming. For me, it might be to go into my study and think about different ways to return the favor of pain to people. (laughs) Not me, but, you know. You see, the deal is we have competing agendas because we all have this sin nature and we all fight against the tendency to try to be God. One of the sayings that I came to a while back is appropriate here, I think. When kingdoms are threatened, kings go to war. And that's true in our individual lives, and it's the root of anger, as we will see. So that's the first point. The second one is that we tend to agree with that but we then adopt a sliding scale as to the standard of what anger is acceptable and what's not. In other words, we look for loopholes in what Jesus has said here. Now, there's a common phrase that goes through these, these two verses that I read, but especially in, this, in the second one. It starts in the first verse, chapter, uh, excuse me, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you should not commit murder. And whoever murders, here's a little phrase I want you to see, will be liable to judgment. It raises its head again in verse 22, but I say that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And then we have it again. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And thirdly, and whoever says you fool will be liable to 
the hell of fire. And so what Jesus does is he keeps pushing this out there. And so where we want to settle into, don't commit murder or you're going to be judged for that, whoo, good, I'm safe, I don't have to worry about it. Now Jesus says, but if you're angry, then you're liable to, now did you notice what the angry person is liable to? The exact same discipline as the one who murders. <laughs> Jesus doesn't let any of us off the hook. But you see, we don't think that way. We look for loopholes. There's some anger in the way we look at it that seems like it must be okay. So Jesus digs a little deeper here, and he says to us, here's the discipline, here's the punishment, if you will, here's the judgment that you get, and it gets more and deeper for us the more we let anger rule through our lives. That's those three different sections of verse 22. What anger is acceptable to us? Let me give you a few examples of this. First of all, when I was um, just newly married, I was playing softball all the time. That was the, um, the entertainment that Teresa and I had as newlyweds. I was playing on three different teams just about every night of the week. One of those teams was a church softball team. Now, I don't know if any of you have any experience with church softball teams, but they might as well take the word church off of church softball teams with most of the ones that I played on. Um, and we played, uh, the church that I was in in Odessa had a pretty good history of softball. We were, uh, we were pretty good and we were very competitive. And, uh, but because we were very competitive and because we weren't so much church in the church softball, uh, we had a reputation and a history of being out of hand on the softball field lots of times. But nobody seemed to say much about that. It didn't seem like that was a big deal. In other words, that kind of angry that we got on the softball field never really raised to the level of being a problem. So I was newly committed to ministry, and I was trying to find a place to plug in. I wasn't sure exactly what to do. And so I decided they were looking for a coach that year, which actually means manager, which actually means here's a guy who fills out the roster. And so I decided I would do it that year, but because of our history and I was trying to do the right thing and find my place and my, my feet, so to speak, as it related to being a minister, I stepped into the process that I said, okay, guys, first practice. And I reminded them at the first game, here's the deal. We're not going to lose our cool on the softball field this season. Not going to do it. As a matter of fact, if we do it, then as the coach of the team, I'm going to go to the umpire and I'm going to tell him that we forfeit the game and we're going to clear the field rather than live like that out in front of people. And everybody said, that's right, that's a good idea. I'm glad you're going to do that. And then came the game <laughs> where we had to do that. And one of my good friends, really one of my best friends at the time, he was out there and he was going off. I mean, he was, he was saying words that I didn't know. And I thought I knew them all. And it was just out of hand, and it was at the umpire first, and then it was at an opposing player. And then so I stepped in. I said, hey, man, you need to chill out. You need to slow down, cut it out. And he started in on me. And so I calmly walked, well, calm. I walked over to the umpire, and I said, we forfeit. We're done. We're not going to do this in front of everybody. And the umpire looked at me, never been done before, in a church league even. 
He looked at me, and he said, you sure? I said, yes, sir. He said, okay, ball game. And, I, and everybody cleared the field. So our guys, well, then now, not only was this one guy coming at me, the whole team was angry. That was one of those things. You see, in competition, it's okay to be angry, right? Jesus says no. Jesus says if you're angry with your brother, he doesn't give any qualifiers. He doesn't say unless you're on a softball field. That's one. Here's another one. You ever seen anybody get disrespected and be mad about it? I, I could give you many stories, but most of them come out of counseling situations. <laughs> they disrespected me. So I'm going to set their house on fire and I'm going to shoot them when they come running out. What? <laughs> what did you just say? We have a way of looking for loopholes that let us off the hook because certain kind of anger we, we're okay with. We're comfortable with that. Let me take you back. Let me give you this a third one. Remember that story I started with about the kid who got attacked in high school? What if that was your kid that got attacked? Is that an environment where anger is acceptable? So full disclosure, that was my kid that got attacked. And I have to tell you, I was not very Matthew 5.21 in those days about that. I was, um, I was angry. I was angry right away. As soon as I got the phone call from the school that said, Mr. Rotrammel, actually is my next-door neighbor. She was a counselor there, and she said, Mark, I need to tell you that we think Colin's going to be okay, but... We're loading him into an ambulance now. We need you to meet us at the hospital. It didn't take me long to get angry when I found out the details of that. When I got to the hospital, Teresa and I got to the hospital, and we got there at the same time the ambulance did, and they're unloading my son, who was attacked from behind and beaten, according to the emergency room physician, almost to death. Anger was my friend then, or so I thought. When it's your son who's attacked like that, is it okay to be angry? We saw a stream of people come through our house over the next five to seven, ten days, and one after another they came in expressing their anger over what had happened. The kid who attacked my son um, was immediately dismissed from school. And on Monday, he went to the junior high school where my daughter was attending and threatened her on school campus. I was angry. And those people who came through our house to talk to our son or to talk to us, they were angry. I even had one who came and he said to me in no uncertain terms, and it was not a joke, he said, listen, I know people, and if you want us to go get that kid who did this, you just say the word, we'll make him disappear. That's pretty deep-seated anger, don't you think? But there's part of us that goes, yeah, but you know, I get that. I, I get it in that kind of case, but Jesus doesn't get it in that kind of case. Jesus doesn't give us a loophole. He doesn't say, well, under certain circumstances, it's okay to be angry. He said, if you're angry with your brother, you're liable to judgment. We need to be careful whose standard of righteousness we adopt. 
because the world will give us lots of reasons to find loopholes that Jesus never created. Here's the last one, and I'll be finished after this. I don't want to just say, here's why we're doing, or here's what we're doing wrong. I, I want to see if I can't throw something out there that helps us get it right. So here's, here's the correction part. In, in order for anger to thrive in your life, you have to feed it. You know the old saying of pets, or of stray cats or stray dogs, and they show up at your house? I can remember my mom said, don't feed it. Why not? Because if you feed it, it'll just stick around. I found that to be true. And teenagers are like that. <laughs> Anger's like that. If you feed your anger, it'll stick around. It'll stick around so much that it'll become part of the landscape of your life, and you'll accept it like it's supposed to be there. It'll just be furniture in your house. Don't feed anger because what happens is you, you feed it. It happens and your will gets violated and you go, oh, I don't know about that. And then it starts working on you, right? And so it's like this cycle that just takes you deeper and deeper into it. And so ah, they did this to me and I'm angry about that. And you kind of let, well, and then it comes back like a cow chewing cut and it comes back. And, and you thinking about it some more and you just get a little bit angry and a little bit angry and a little bit angry. And before you know it, Four weeks have gone by and you're still angry about somebody who told you something that they shouldn't have told you. And some of us live lifetimes with unresolved anger because we just keep feeding it. Verse 22 again, Jesus helps us to understand this. He shows that digression that I'm talking about. It starts off with being angry, and then it gets to be words spoken. And before it's all said and done, you end up and well, it says the hell of fire. There's a lot to be said there. One of the things that anger does for us is it moves us to dismiss that other person, to depersonalize them. And so when I do that with somebody because I'm angry with them and therefore they don't deserve all the rights and privileges that come with being a child of God, then uh, I have been the one who sinned in that. And Jesus says you can't do it. All of these that he's going to talk about, they're all going to come back to the other person and how we see them and how we deal with them, which fits love God, love people. So what I want you to hear from that is at the receiving end of your anger, is a person whom Jesus died for. Don't forget that. It's easy for us to think it's okay to be angry at somebody. They violated my will. They did this to me. They hurt me. They hurt my people. But at the other end of that is a person who Jesus loved and died for. You know, in all of that stuff with my son, there was one person who did not get angry. There was one person who tried to step into the legal process. The DA's office picked up that case and charged the guy, and it went all the way through the process. But there was one voice through the whole thing that kept saying, don't be angry about this. Don't pursue it. Let it go. You know who that one person was? It was my son. The one who got attacked. And at one point, it just made me mad. 
And at one point he said, Dad, that guy, he called him by name. Now, we, we still know that name in our house. He said, that, that guy, he doesn't know Jesus. He doesn't know Jesus. At the receiving end of my anger is a person that Jesus loves. And how I reflect Jesus' love to him may well be what wins that person to Jesus Christ. Love God. Love people. And recognize that you have to feed your anger for it to thrive, so don't feed it. Last thing, and I'll be done. One of my favorite stories, preacher stories, this one's told as true, was of a pastor and an evangelist. And those of the, the evangelist would just throw in a fit um, about his fork was dirty. And so he called the waitress over and gave her a hard time about it and uh, actually kind of got really rude about it and demanded another fork. And the girl was apologizing. He said, I don't want excuses. And he sent her off to get another fork, at which point uh, the other guy looked at him. He said, I dare you to witness to her when she comes back. The receiving end of our anger is the real person whom Jesus loves, who needs life. And we're called to live brilliant lives into that mix. Let's pray. And so, Father, as we come to this time, we recognize that this is a requirement of us that we are incapable of keeping. Throws us back into that first beatitude that talks about being spiritually bankrupt and recognizing we don't have what it takes. And so we fall before your throne here and beg for grace and mercy. We do not have what it takes to live the life that you've called us to live. And yet we accept the calling. So we ask that you would work in our lives here and build us up and strengthen us into lives that are brilliant, shining brightly, reflecting the glory of Jesus Christ into a world that is full of anger and murder, and hate. We pray that you would change lives today for those who are here who don't know you. Their life seems to be an angry story that you would step in with your love even now. For those of us who struggle to keep this right in our lives, we pray that you would step in and teach us even now Glorify your name in this time is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you to stand and let's sing together.